we get the privilege, it is an amazing privilege, to open his word this morning. So would you open it with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 22. I got a question as we begin. Why do we work? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you've thought about that as you're working. Why in the world am I working? Have you ever taken the time to think that with all the work to do? (laughs) I can think of lots of reasons that we work. We work because in our world, it still does something to put food on the table. We work because we enjoy having income and using it to buy things. We work because we enjoy working. We work because it feels good to put our bodies and our minds to work. Or some of us work because we're afraid of what might happen if we don't. Or we work to get away from the other problems and people of our, in our lives. Sometimes we work like, because we feel like we have to. We also might work because we think that in working, we are significant. That that's where we find our worth. That's where we find our identity. That's where we find, we probably wouldn't say it this way, but that's kind of may be how we were living. That's where we might find our salvation. Well, you might not have been one of the several million folks applying for unemployment in this season, but what happens when that's taken away? Well, we live in Nebraska in farm country, and I thought it's like a pivot without wheels. You're just stuck broke and stuck. And Proverbs from God's word says something interesting in chapter 16, verse 26. It says, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. And I thought that summed it up pretty nicely. We work to satisfy an appetite. And in this book, we're told that God is a God who works. And he created people made in his image. And he created them to work. And that in working, they would reflect his glory. That's called worship. And reflect who he is to each other and to the rest of creation. They were to satisfy, through working, their appetites in him. But you might know the story people made in his image didn't want to work for him. They didn't believe him. They had an appetite, but they fed it garbage. And people today still work to feed that appetite with garbage. But the God who works did something. Something where all of our work, all of our lives could be brought back to a place where our appetites are satisfied. An appetite for glorifying him like we were made. So that's our question today as we get into this text. What do we need to glorify God, to worship him, 
to work for him instead of against him, and to have our appetite satisfied forever for good. With that in mind, let's stand as we read God's holy word this morning. And would you stand with me? John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, and we'll go down to verse 29. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Excuse me. When they found him there on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You can have a seat. Now let's pray for the time in the Word. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding. Help us to see. Help us to understand how we have been made and what appetite that we have been made to satisfy and that only you can satisfy. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. See, from this passage, the work of God is the appetite for Jesus. The passage we're in this morning begins what's traditionally called the bread of life discourse, and it's huge, so we're going to break it up over a few weeks. And this begins, in case you didn't catch a little bit of the tone of this, this begins a major watershed moment for those who claim to be followers of Jesus. The crowd in this passage, as I, I think Linda mentioned, is the same one that sat on the hillside as Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish across thousands of people, everyone having as much as they wanted. And last week, Jesus caught up with his disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water in the midst of the storm. He and his disciples have landed on the other side of the lake. They're safe. And the crowd is looking for him. So why are they looking for him? What do they have an appetite for? Number one, sinners strive for stuff, but need the Savior. I mean, look at this. On the next day, verse 22, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had, only been one, there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Interesting that it says the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And you have to remember, this was overnight. The crowds had stayed away from their homes overnight, at the shore, expecting Jesus to show up, 
waiting for him. He doesn't show up. They wait for a couple hours. And then boats come, and, the, and they must have heard Jesus tell his disciples to go to Capernaum. So they all get in this, these boats and head over to find this guy, this Jesus. And you know what that is? That's work. That's working to find Jesus. The crowd was truly like sheep without a shepherd, as Jesus had seen them. And that's why he had compassion on them. They were working and working to find Jesus. And to be honest, in some ways, our, that doesn't sound too bad for our ears. It doesn't sound like a too bad of a thing, does it? I mean, if you were over in Hastings, for example, and Jesus showed up here in York, wouldn't you go here to see him? the most famous man in the world? Wouldn't you go to see, there, see him if he put out a good burger feed? Free food, right? So what do they say when they find him? Rabbi, when did you come here? Now we need to remember, before we move farther, is who these people were where they came from, kind of what, what's their background. This is likely a very mixed group of people. Maybe some middle class, but largely poor. Simple country folk who lived in the fishing villages around Galilee, trying to make ends meet. And Jesus loves them. And he has had compassion on them. He's been healing their sick. He's been feeding them. But what does Jesus know that they need more? More than food. More than healing. And frankly, more, if I can dare say it, more than compassion. They need him. They need him. And I say this because this needs to drive our approach for helping people, church. We can, and we should, as Jesus did, show the kindness of God in helping the poor, in lifting up the needy, in encouraging the broken, in seeking justice for the oppressed. We as a church actually have had the privilege even this week and, and previous from God to be doing some of that. Praise God for that. But do you remember what it says in Romans? But the kindness of God is meant to lead people, including us, to what? Repentance. A faith that turns away from a false way of life that's all about the things of this world to the fullest life in God who came down from heaven. That means we must be seeking, undergirding all we do, above all else, for people to know Him. Because those in need are sinners in need of a Savior, just like anyone else. And what is a sinner, before we move along? You don't usually hear that on the news or on your uh, social media feed. What is it? Well, a sinner is someone who, both by nature and by choice, is in rebellion against God in unbelief. And the unbelief is... The unbelief itself is the belief that our God-given appetites 
can be satisfied with something else less than God. And while Jesus certainly speaks more gently, as, he, as, he, as we should, with those poor sinners than the religious leaders who think they don't need in Jesus for their salvation, these poor sinners have the same need, Jesus. Jesus does not make a distinction when it, beco- when it comes to salvation between rich people and poor people. Jesus does not make a distinction between those who are physically healthy and those whose bodies are broken when it comes to salvation. He does not make a distinction between white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian, and on and on when it comes to salvation. He does not make a distinction which area of town or which town or which country or which state you live in when it comes to salvation. He does not make a distinction between those who are behind bars and those who are free citizens when it comes to salvation. What does it say in Romans 3.23? All, all meaning all of humanity, everybody is an image bearer of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we need to understand this. We cannot, as Christians, we cannot leave those in need with earthly goods and withhold the heavenly grace of the gospel from them which they need more. How do we know that from this text? Because that's how Jesus responds to them, these needy people. He says in verse 26, truly, truly, he totally ignores the track they're they're wanting to guide the conversation with their question. He gets right to the heart of the matter. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's not rude about it. He's telling them the truth. You're coming to me for the wrong reason. You're striving for stuff, not seeing your need for the Savior. Not because you saw signs. Do you remember what signs are? These people had witnessed a massive, massive scale miracle. Thousands of people being being fed from a single basket of food. But seeing miracles is not enough. Miracles by themselves are never enough. This was to be a sign. And signs, what do they do? They point to someone or something. They signify. And all the signs written in this book were to signify that the Savior had come. And they were to come to him for salvation not merely for free food. Sinners strive for stuff, but they need the Savior. They're working for the wrong food because Jesus does not stop it. Here's what's wrong. He gives them the better life. Number two, only Jesus' life is good enough. Sinners strive for stuff. They need a Savior. And who is that Savior? Jesus, and only his life is good enough. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, Jesus responded to them, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Again, what is the food that perishes? Well, it's pretty obviously. 
anything that's not eternal. The clothes you're wearing, not eternal. Your vehicles, not eternal. Some of you know that better than others. Your house, not eternal. Your education, not eternal. Your career, not eternal. Your business, not eternal. We could, go, we could go on, but while there is food that perishes, the real issue here is that people are working for it. For it. So Jesus says, stop working for it. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus wants them and us to quit our jobs and not feed our families? In case you're not certain, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> okay? He's saying, why are you banking your life on that which does not give life? Why are you working so hard for the stuff that has very little to do with salvation? And maybe you've had your eyes open to this recently, but this is the culture we live in right now in the 21st century. There is a ton, a ton of striving, a ton of working, even a ton of rage for the food that perishes. Now hear me out. This is a struggle. This is one of the issues with this kind of food. Is that this food, in some cases, it may be good food. It may even be things which God has commanded for this life. They are there, and they're not to be ignored. We Christians should not have our heads in the sands about the things that need to be done in this life. Why is there a whole bunch of working for the food that perishes? The reality is because people left to themselves apart from God, us left to ourselves apart from God, will always think that the food that's for this life only is more important than the food that endures to eternal life. We will always go that route without fail apart from God. And what fallen people who don't know Jesus, but what they aren't telling each other is that working for the food that perishes has eternal consequences. And I have to tell you, as a Christian, and we as Christians, I must confess it as sin, we are often shying away from the saying that the food is going to perish. That's the same word, actually, by the way, that was used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not what? Should not perish, but have eternal life. And if a person perishes in unbelief, working for the food that perishes, in rejecting, and as a byproduct, rejecting Jesus, and is not receiving the food that endures to eternal life, do you know what the scripture says happens? Perishing is being justly sent to hell forever apart from the saving presence of the Lord who is good enough. Are we sobered about that? 
And are we sobered about that there's another way? Because Jesus, who came not to condemn, but to save, says to these foolish people and to anyone today who strives for stuff that perishes, don't do it! He says, don't waste your life trying to fill your appetite with that which only starves you ultimately. So what are they? What are we to do instead? Do not work for the food that perishes, Jesus said, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This is repentance. This is rejecting the food that doesn't satisfy and receiving the food from Jesus, the Son of Man, who gives it to us. This is food that satisfies. This is food that is worthwhile. So the question, is Jesus good enough for you? Because that's the food that he's talking about. This is an amazing way to word it. And today we get the benefit of seeing this played out because the climax of the story has already been written. The hero of the story, the author of the story, the gift of the story, the giver of the story, they're all the same person. Jesus is saying, don't work for the food that perishes, but come to me. Look to me. Satisfy yourself by receiving me, trusting me, the Son of Man, the real Savior and King, on whom, as the end of verse 27 says, God has set, the Father has set his seal. Now what does that mean? Some translations rightly say seal of approval. Jesus is the Son of God who is approved and uniquely, quali uniquely qualified to give his life to anyone he wants. We're told over and over in this book, there is only one way to eternal life. And Jesus was telling the truth when he says, later on, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And anyone who receives him gets food that endures to eternal life. What's eternal life? You thought much about eternal life this week? There's lots of ideas about eternal life out there. The trouble with many of them is that eternal life is imagined as some ethereal life out there and sometimes people throw in some babies with some diapers and harps and some, some arrows. Like some false pictures of angels in there too. But they have this ethereal kind of life that makes no mention of God. And that it's some pie in the sky, by and by. You see, as we looked in John chapter 5, verse 24, what did Jesus say? Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, do you remember it? Has eternal life. 
That means that, think about this, there are people right here, right now, there are people listening in right now who have already started eternal life. Being born again by God, you start eternal life. Now, it may seem like stuff in, some stuff in your life has not changed, but there is a change. Because internally, where there was once death, there is now life. You see things differently. You think about things differently. You want to be with Jesus. You want to know Him. You want to know His Word. And not just today, but you want to be with Him forever and you want to believe and hope and bank on the promise that He gives about the second part of eternal life, which is all the stuff that's a mess in your life will one day be gone. I mentioned a while ago that sin has such a short shelf life in the believer's life. We struggle day after day. But God has promised that in His Son paying for our sins on the cross, our sin is taken away, no longer held against us, and will one day be fully removed from us. We will no longer have to be having these two natures, flesh and, and the Spirit, working butting heads in our, in our lives. If we eat the food that endures to eternal life, Jesus, who has life in himself, we are promised to live with him forever. We are promised that in his forever is where sin is ultimately taken away. His forever is where our bodies are our physical bodies, this is not some ethereal thing, our physical bodies, which may likely die, will be resurrected and will no longer break down. His forever is where we won't know sorrow or crying or pain anymore, for as the book of Revelation says, the former things will have passed away. His forever is where we see the holes in the hands of our Savior, remembering the wrath that was laid on Him for our sakes. And we are forever glad that He calls us brothers and sisters and that we are always, always welcome at our Father's table and His presence. And we do not need to be afraid. Only Jesus' life is good enough do we have an appetite for him? And the crowds wanted to know that too. How do we get an appetite for that, Jesus? What do they say in verse 28? They say, Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Number three, faith in Jesus is the right appetite. What must we do to be doing the works of God, Jesus? Listen to the question they ask here. And I'll give some emphasis. What must we do to be doing the works of God? 
Now, when it says works of God here in this passage, it means the works that God requires. What pleases God? What does God require? But did you hear their focus? They only got it partially right. Sure, God requires something, they, might, they think, but we're the ones who can deliver. Just tell us what to do and we can do it, Jesus. <laughs> this is so honest of our fallen sinful nature. Our human nature under sin. And you know what? We're such blessed people for God to shoot straight with us on this. You see, in asking their question, they want eternal life. They don't want to be working for the food that perishes if Jesus says don't work for that. They want the food that endures for eternal life. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 rightly says this, God has put eternity into man's heart. We're made for it. The Jews here actually had a head start on, in, by way of contrast with our culture. They at least believed that there was a God over all. But they and we have the same, they and we are the same when it comes to pleasing God, to finding life, to having our appetites fully satisfied. We think, <laughs> we think we can do it. We're not so bad at least not compared to what I've seen on the news lately. We can surely do the things that would, God, that would cause God to say, okay, you're doing okay, you get eternal life. And that even infects the church, where many Christians today get wrapped around the axle of doing works of obedience, thinking that by doing them, that keeps them saved. No, if you and I were required to keep our own salvation, we would lose it. Good news, church. Good news. God does require something for us to have life since we have sinned against him. And it's the infinite payment for the infinite offense we have tried to smear in his face. And we can't pay. We can't do. And you're thinking to yourself, that's good news? How is that good news? It's good news because God wouldn't have done anything if we could pay. If we could pay, actually, we should question God's being God if we could. Because that would mean he has lied about how, how corrupting sin is. And may God forbid such a thing. But because we can't, we show God to be true. And he acts on his own to save. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work, singular, of God, the work that God requires, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's not a checklist. It's not a rule book. It's not a do-goodism philosophy. 
It's knowing and trusting the real flesh and blood God-man, Jesus Christ. Believing who he is and that the Father has sent him to save. This is called faith. Hebrews 9 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, whoever would have the food that endures to eternal life, put it in this way, back to Hebrews, they must believe that he, God, exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God sent him. We didn't ask for him. God sent him. We wanted credit for paying our own way. God sent him and said, this is the work of God, that you believe my work. That you believe my son. Yes, there is work to do in the kingdom of God. There is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is loving your neighbor. There is, as Jesus was later saying, John, loving one another, that the world may know that we are his disciples. But how can we possibly do these things unless we believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God? How can we do those things if we work for the food that perishes? All of life proceeds from the one who has life and who will give it. Give it! And our work is just holding our hands open. And when we believe in Jesus, whom God the Father has sent, do you know what happens? God is pleased. God loves his son and has set his seal of approval on him. When we listen to him, when we trust him, when we believe him, we are saved. And we're proclaiming that God is right. And in believing, God has glorified the very thing that we as image bearers are meant to do. The work of God is the appetite for Jesus. It's like our craving on these hot summer days. No one who's been sweating outside wants to, wants to sit out there with a nice sizzling bowl of chili and some hot cocoa. No. You want something that has frost on the glass. You want a popsicle. You want a cone of ice cream. Something that truly satisfies and quenches that heated thirst. And there's only one satisfier of our ultimate appetite. It's Christ. Christ alone. Faith in Jesus is the right appetite. So again, I'll ask the question. Hopefully may you, we can answer it. What do we need to glorify God, to worship him, to work for him instead of against him, to have our appetite satisfied for good, to work as we were designed to work? Well, it's not what, it's who. It's Christ who satisfies our appetite. I've been taking a pastoral counseling class this summer and at the risk of exposing trade secrets, don't worry, it's all in here, you can read it. Um, one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten so far from the class 
and the biggest reconfirmations of me for engaging people is this, and hopefully, hopefully you already know it, but here, pay attention. If you pay attention, people are actually loved when you engage them as they really are. Not who you presume them to be. You treat them like people who are made in the image of God. You know where all that comes from? It comes from how we were designed to interact with our God. A God who is three persons in one, Holy Trinity, who has chosen to come near, not stay far away, and who has chosen to speak to us as persons made in his image, who were lost but have been found, who, gi- who gives us the good news of the gospel, of God reconciling his people to himself by giving them food that endures to eternal life, himself upon the cross, and himself arising from the tomb, and himself to come back again. Will we believe him as he is? And believe that the Father has sent him? See, us sinners, we want stuff. We will strive for stuff, but what we need and who God has come to be for us is a Savior, the Savior, the real God who comes near. What Jesus requires is to be received as he is, the one whom God the Father has sent as good enough, as more than enough, in fact, and as satisfying for the appetite of our souls. That is the work of God. 